I escaped. For those of you who have not been paying attention, the name's Rocket, one of the guardians of the galaxy. The smart one. Listen up. He's going to put you on a gantry lift for your tour. I'm going to sneak on top of your lift and take us all the way to the big old generator control room. I'm going to blast that thing and destroy all the control systems, which will open up every cage in this freak show and free my friends. Our buddy Mantis is in the getaway ship waiting for my signal. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I meant it this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 208. I feel like I should have drank a Mountain Dew before we did this one because this ride is an adrenaline rush. I mean, that's a weird (laughs) thing to say. Maybe like a, I don't know, what's the other energy drink that people like? A bang? A Red Bull? Red Bull. That's the one that I was thinking (laughs) I'm clearly not very familiar with uh, energy drinks. But this ride is a thrill from st- beginning to end. And we thank you so much for joining us. We hope that this episode does it just because, spoiler alert, this is one of our favorite attractions that we've ever been on. If you are new here, we take a look in these storytelling episodes that we do every Wednesday. We take a look at different Disney attractions and try to view them through a storytelling lens so that the next time we experience them, We catch something new. We get a different emotion from it. Just trying to learn more about them and talk about that storytelling aspects. And this is a rich, rich story. And we haven't even announced what the ride is yet. So, Brendan, this was your pick. What did you pick? Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. And we're also going to talk about Monsters After Dark because, I mean, how can you not? I do want to point out, because I know we have a lot of Listeners who maybe have only been to Walt Disney World and they haven't made it out to Disneyland or DCA just yet. I think it's unavoidable to not talk about some spoilers, but I think even after this discussion, you will get the full experience from this ride if you've never done it before. So don't turn it off. Yeah, I completely agree because there are multiple versions of this ride. Um, And to be honest, we've only been on this ride twice, once as Mission Breakout and then just once as Monsters After Dark. So in all honesty, we haven't even experienced this ride in its entirety. So we're excited to learn more about it, of course, and we're more excited to talk about it. Yep. So there's a couple of things that we need to get out of the way. They kind of set the stage for Monsters After Dark. I said Monsters After Dark. (laughs) That's where my mind goes. But for Mission Breakout. Yes. Um, So, of course, the first thing that I think we all need to kind of get out of the way is that this ride did replace Tower of Terror in Disney's California Adventure. And, of course, that means that when this was announced, it was super controversial just because, obviously, Tower of Terror has a huge fan base. I mean, it's one of my favorite rides 
Um, if I had to make like a top 10 list, it would definitely make the list. So understandably so. But I don't like me personally. I wasn't offended, obviously, because we're not Disneyland people. I mean, did you have any thoughts on it when they announced it? Uh, I'm such a Marvel fanboy, so I was <laughs> down for it. I appreciate Tower of Terror and everything that it is. But I think it's good that we have the discussion at the very beginning because what we do not want this episode to be is a comparison between Tower and Mission Breakout because it's not fair for either ride because honestly, and I think anybody who has been on it can attest to this, they are so different. They really are. Besides the ride mechanism, once you get past that, I feel like you can't even compare them. It's apples and oranges at that point. And we have already talked about Tower of Terror, so we would definitely be backtracking to go through all of those elements again. So if you haven't listened to our Tower of Terror episode, um, maybe after you listen to this one, you might want to backtrack a little, find that, and then you can learn more about you know the mechanisms and how that ride came to be. But like Brendan said, this is completely separate because the storytelling is completely separate. Uh, Tower of Terror is one of our infamous episodes, Catherine. I know. So if you listen back to it, I messed up the date. I'm very, very sorry. We all make mistakes here. We make a lot of mistakes. We probably give a lot of non-factual information. We do our best to check everything, but sometimes we get carried away. We just love this stuff. <laughs> uh, so so sometimes we misspeak. So if we ever make a mistake, please let us know because we want to make sure that we're up to date with everything. Um, but that's just one that we know of. There's yeah. probably many, many more that you can find. Oh, for sure. So that's kind of the first thing that we wanted to get out of the way. The second thing that I think is very interesting, and I know we'll probably talk about it more when we get to the history, but it's really just, you know, why did Disney pick Guardians of the Galaxy? Since if you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's so much to choose from there, especially when it comes to uh, the options that they have in California. And then how did it impact DCA as a whole? I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. So I think those are good poses and like good mental space to be in. And we'll think about that and we'll discuss these ideas throughout the episode. Okay. So we're going to start with the ride walkthrough, just like we always do. And to me, of course, like a lot of these rides that we talk about, Really, your experience starts before you even get to the queue or get on the ride. And in this scenario, I think that's the same because the aesthetic and the outside appearance of this attraction lets you know right away kind of what you're in for. It has that very futuristic look. Um, you can see the theming very clearly. It's you know, obviously the shape still resembles the old Tower of Terror. And that's the last thing I'm ever going to say about the Tower of Terror. But other than that, they completely redid it, which I do appreciate, especially as we think about maybe some of the new things that are coming to at least Disney World in particular. It's not just like your cookie cutter outward appearance. Are you making fun of the big blue box of Cosmic Rewind? I'm not making fun of it. I'm pointing out I greatly appreciate that they did something with the outside of this one. And that's all I'm going to say. I appreciate it. I I do think, and this might be an unpopular opinion, 
I do think that Tower of Terror still holds my heart as if I had to compare the two outsides. And I know I said that was the last thing I was going to say about Tower of Terror. Broken your promise. Liar, liar, paints on fire. But I like that as soon as you walk up, you know what's happening. And especially for Monsters After Dark. Um, they do a lot with the lighting and the, and everything there, too. So I I appreciate that. I mean, it's it's looming at the end of that street. And forgive me, I don't know what that street is in DCA. I do think it's funny. We went right after A Bug's Land closed, which truthfully, I'm not too sad about. Oh, I am sad about it. I wish I could have seen it just once. OK, I wanted to go on Heimlich's choo-choo train. That's the only thing. <laughs> Um, just cause that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that will never not be funny. Um, but again, looking ahead, this is going to age like fine wine. You surround it with the Avengers campus and all the different aesthetics. I think it's going to get even better and, and, and kind of build up around that entire area. It's just going to play very nicely. Whereas when it first got built, it was funny because you'd be, in a bug's land with the oversized plants. And it, that area reminds me of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids area in Hollywood Studios. Uh-huh. And then you'd see this big looming space galaxy shaped building. Yeah. So at first, you know, it, it didn't maybe fit completely. But I do agree. If we look at the grand scheme of DCA, it's going to fit right in. And this was probably the precursor to, you know, what is to come, of course. But if we go to the queue, so we're looking at it from the outside, we decide to get in line. I do have to say, we never actually walked through the queue in its entirety either because we did Max Pass when we were there. So I am sad that we didn't get to see some of these things that we're talking about, except for, of course, in pictures. So just one more reason to go back, right, Brendan? I'm down. Always. But outside the queue, it's still very... Aesthetically pleasing. You enter into Tevens. That's how you say it, right? Correct. Brendan had to give me a lesson before this. Tevens Oasis, where, of course, he's showing off his collection of strange and unusual plants from around the galaxy. And this space also has an array of strange sounds, kind of giving you a precursor to all the strange creatures on the inside. And then when you enter the building, That's kind of the main highlight, I think, to the theming of this attraction, because this is the collector's showroom. And this is why he's inviting you in, because, of course, he wants to show off all the incredible things that he's collected. So you see, you know, of course, the big statue of the collector and all of these floor to ceiling display cases with all of these living creatures and objects. And it really is just unreal to look at. Um, And of course, they have all these fun Easter eggs. And I think the Imagineers just outdid themselves here. You did miss one part that that's part of the story is that Tevin is inviting you in and you are in this situation, a guest of the planet Terra. So you're Terraniums or whatever they're. Yeah. You're people of Terra in this situation. Correct. So some of the feature or some of the, I guess, featured collectors items that are some of the most notable, you have an Ultron body. So from Age of Ultron, 
Um, Cosmo, the space dog. Did, Brendan, do you know what that's from? Yes. Oh. Cosmo, the space dog, is a Russian telepathic dog who oh. is part of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic books, but he didn't make it into the movies. What? A no. Ru- a Russian telepathic Labrador. How or he would might be a anyone retriever. cut out a dog from the cast they thought the raccoon was better well they have both rocket and cosmo are part of the guardians so how do you keep rocket and you cut out a space dog guardians is not done yet there's a chance i demand cosmo the space dog right to james gunn mind blown right now mind blown well you can see him there okay you also get to see a bellhop Pat from Tower of Terror. Figment. How fun is that? Um, a Nova Corps uniform from the Fantastic Four. There are art- artifacts from Atlantis. There is an original Yeti from the Matterhorn. A Hydra helmet. And then, of course, Peter Quill's Walkman. Just to name a few. I mean, there are plenty more that you can find as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's one that every time you go in, you can find something new or find a new reference. And I mean, it's just chalked full of amazing stuff. And I think the part of this area that appeals to me the most is that, of course, it goes back to the Imagineering. Like when they were looking for these different pieces, I mean, I feel like everything was so intentional. Like they weren't just picking things from. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I almost said Galaxy's Edge. (laughs) Sorry, I blanked for a second. Too many galaxies. Um, But they were picking things from the whole Marvel universe, which I just think is so cool because, you know, they're really branching out and making all those connections. And of course, like that's the big picture here, I think. Okay, so you're kind of getting to a category that I wanted to talk about, and we can talk about it now, is... Of course, Joe Rohde did this. He's the lead creative designer, which is probably why you love it so much. What, and I didn't even know that he was in charge of this ride. But if you think about it, though, you Makes can sense. kind of put it together that, that this would be something. The cue is so intentional and there's so many different meanings and references. And, you know, that's got Joe Rohde written all over it. But uh, I watched an interview with him talking about the cue specifically and the artifacts and the props that they used. And he and he was making the point, well, well, Tevin is a collector. Obviously, that's the whole premise of this ride. But Tevin collects not only in the Marvel universe, Tevin collects in other universes and other worlds. So that's how you get things like Figment and Tower of Terror and all these other references. And they all fit. That's the best part of the whole thing is that it's not necessarily like Hidden Mickey. I love Hidden Mickeys, but, you know, sometimes they're forced or they don't make sense. All these things make sense because Tevin has stretched across multi-dimensions and multi-universes to put all of this together. Oh, and I think, you know, it not only makes it fit within what's going to soon be the Marvel area, but it now fits into Disney. So I just love that it connects. I love that Joe Rohde did it. 
and I love looking at the queue. So of course, you leave the queue and you're kind of ushered into Tevin's office. And that's where, of course, you can see more articles and pieces from his collection. And there you get, you know, what would be your typical pre-show where the collector starts to explain his collection, what's going to happen, how you're going to go on a tour. Um, and of course, that's where you're going to get to see his newest editions, which are the members of the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> that they've collected. Um, and that's where you're interrupted by Rocket. And I think this is Brendan's favorite part of the whole ride. Well, the Rocket animatronic is amazing. It's the right size. His mouth moves realistically. <laughs> the dialogue is great. So I, I do love this part. And, you know, he explains how he escaped and what he's planning. And he tries to usher you away at first, but then he realizes that you as the guest are more of an asset to him because, and this is what I think is hilarious about this ride, your hands give you access to the different parts of the collection. And that's why you have to hold your hands in the air. I mean, how funny is that? Yeah. So Tevin gave you permission to access these different areas of his facility based on your handprints. And so Rocket knows that. And so that's how he's going to get his friends out. Yeah, that's what gives you like the security clearance. So you're ushered to leave the office and you're brought to these gantry lifts um, to gain access and you strap in. And of course, Rocket kind of hijacks the whole um, situation. He takes control and he launches you up into the fortress. And this is where you actually get to the actual ride. So everything leading up to this, you know, is just very cinematic. It's just kind of laying out the story for you before you even get to the ride part. Um, kind of like we mentioned earlier, it is a drop tower ride, but with each drop, you're brought to a new clip that shows you different parts of this escape attempt. And I think the coolest thing about this ride, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, but there are six different experiences um, based on the music. Music is a huge part of this ride. I think it's a huge part of Guardians of the Galaxy. Obviously, um, Star-Lord is obsessed with his Walkman. So they were intentional, again, about picking music and putting it with each drop sequence. Well, it's not even the drop sequence. It's also the screens as well. And one of my favorite parts of this is that James Gunn actually played a role in directing these parts. So they got all of the actors involved except for one, Catherine. I know. For some reason, I guess Vin Diesel was just too busy to come back. Must have been on Fast and the Furious 27. You know, um, what was the movie that he made where he was like a babysitter? I The Pacifier. Yeah, I didn't see that. Oh, my God. We actually had that movie growing up. So that's what I think of. I thought you were going to say Triple X. That's his best movie. But anyway, uh, yeah, so it has all the Chris Pratt is in there, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, and then uh, Bradley Cooper is lending his voice for Rocket. Unfortunately, Vin Diesel did not get to be Groot. 
I'm surprised that they didn't just use dialogue from the movies. Apparently, they just got someone else to do I Am Groot. <laughs> you make you make a good point. I guess for all the people not to bring back, that would be the easiest one to sub in. But James Gunn, of course, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2, played a role in mapping out this story. And he directed the different scenes that you can sit and see. And I think that is just awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, it ties the whole thing in together. It's very fast and it's very chaotic, which, of course, mimics very much like what happens in the movie. Like everything is kind of wild. The characters kind of have their own little quirks to them. So, you know, again, even if you get the same song and the same kind of drop sequence, you know, I think you can see different things every single time. Who's the funniest? Oh, man. Um. Oh, uh, what's Drax? Yes, I think he's hilarious. Drax is funny. Yeah, <laughs> even though I can't remember his name. So, of course, we have to mention all of these songs. We have Born to be Wild, Burning Love, Free Ride, Give Up the Funk. You got to be careful saying that one. Hit Me With Your Best Shot and I Want You Back. And we got Burning Love. I really wanted I Want You Back. You know what I think would be fun? Hit me with your best shot. No, no. you. That just... goes so well with like what's going on with all the monsters. As soon as I read that that was one of the songs, I thought that's the one that I want. You just picked another song over the Jackson 5. We, we have an issue. I just think that would be a great song. Nope. I will <laughs> not hear it. Alrighty. Jackson, here's the tier. Jackson 5, then Elvis, then everybody else. Ooh, that's surprising because Brendan's family loves Elvis. So I would have always thought that that would be your number one choice. Elvis is from Tennessee, first of all. So well, yes. Put some respect on his name. He's the king of rock. I don't know what else you can possibly ask out of a human being besides he's not the Jackson 5. <laughs> okay, we will agree to disagree. I think hit me with your best shot would be awesome. I think we're just going to have to give him all a try. We'll feel probably super sick after writing it six times in a row. But for research purposes, it will have to be done. So, of course, upon exiting the ride, you can continue to hear different music from the awesome mix, as well as just different sounds from the chaos that occurred during the breakout um, before being released into a properly themed gift store. <laughs> Which is left over from Tower of Terror. <gasps> I thought we were mentioning Tower of Terror. But would they really have put a gift shop there? I mean, I guess. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we bought a magnet there for and it was the awesome mix. Yeah, we did. We did. So actually. We were suckers. We Always. bought it. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the history and how this ride came to be, just so we can understand a full picture of what happened. So the attraction opened on May 27th, 2017 in Disney's California Adventure. And it was right after the second volume of the Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Correct. It was like 20 days after Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out. That came out at the beginning of May, I believe. Um, I also think this is very interesting. This ride was announced at Comic-Con, at San Diego Comic-Con, which is not typical for Disney. Well, no. I mean, typically it would be... Like D23, 
But I also feel like it's so fitting because it is Marvel. Like who is going to be more like pumped up and like nerd out over this stuff than people at Comic-Con? I mean, I'm sure people went crazy and I went crazy when I heard the news. And I think that's I was probably very intentional, obviously, that they made that choice to do it instead of doing it D23 or instead of doing it, you know, in some formal press release or or whatnot. But I do think it's interesting, like uh, Galaxy's Edge was not done at Star Wars Celebration. That was done at D23. So from the very beginning, this kind of set a different tone. And I think similar to what Galaxy's Edge did, this reaches a brand new demographic that typically is not attracted to Mickey Mouse. That's what I was going to say. I think that's the benefit of announcing it at a new um, location like they did is that you are going to bring in potentially a brand new audience who might not care about the rest of DCA, but they're going to go strictly for this ride. And, you know, Disney loves that. So a couple dominoes fell in place to make this ride possible. And again, this is another point where we kind of had to mention Tower of Terror. So if you think back to DCA, and we've had this discussion a lot of times, you want to hear more about some of those early struggles of DCA. There's a lot of talk about it in our Radiator Springs Racers episode. So, of course, DCA struggled out of the gate. First couple of years after it opened, attendance was not what it was should be, and the theme of the park was just kind of all over the place. And ultimately, many people attribute that what turned the park around was Cars Land and Radiator Springs Racer. However, before that was Tower of Terror, was kind of a Hail Mary to try to get people into the gate. So they had this ride concept or this ride that they had already built in Disney's Hollywood Studios and Walt Disney World. And so they decided that they could replicate it and build a version of it in dca and i think the good thing at least is that you know it was very popular but when you compare the two versions i think everyone would agree that the disney world version is superior you know this was kind of the scaled down version that like brendan said they put here in an attempt to just bring more people to the park yeah, so it was definitely an inf- an inferior product and an inferior experience to Walt Disney World. I I'll argue with anybody who says otherwise because in Disney World you get the extra scenes where your cart actually moves horizontally and vertically. Sorry, spoiler alert for nobody who's been on it. You'll still be shocked. Um, and you had a much bigger and better queue as well. And I mean, it's on the end of Sunset Boulevard. You can't get any better than that. It's a very good location. So all of this kind of happened and Imagineers were never really satisfied with Tower of Terror in DCA. They kind of thought that it was a Band-Aid. And once Radiator Springs Racers was built and up and running, it finally took a ton of pressure off of Tower of Terror. It was, for the longest time, the number one visited attraction in DCA. Once Radiator Springs was built, it upseated it. Then Tower of Terror falls back. And then they can start looking at it and say, we can take this down for a refurb and it won't have as big of an impact because it's not the attraction here anymore. 
Yeah. And to think about it from like the Imagineer's perspective, I mean, I can imagine that they were probably, you know, okay with building that ride. They probably understood like why they were doing it. But you do have to imagine that, you know, they don't just want to build the same ride over and over again. Like that's not what they want to do. So I'm sure they were just thrilled when this new opportunity presented itself. Yeah, but it was there for quite a long time. And the other part that plays into this, of course, we all know about the Universal exclusive deal that Universal Studios has to keep Marvel character characters out of Walt Disney World. So I'm not an attorney. There's many, many people who have blogged about this and tried to break this down because it's a very confusing deal. But basically what it comes down to is that any any park east of the Mississippi cannot have any of the characters that Universal has rights to. Those include these different families that are from the Marvel comic books. X-Men, The Avengers, Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man. It also includes any of the villains associated with these characters. So, for example, you could not have Silver Surfer because they're so he's associated with the Fantastic Four. You cannot have the Green Goblin because he's associated with Spider-Man. So Guardians does not fall into that category. So that means it could be on both coasts, and that's what we're getting. So I think that what we saw was Mission Breakout ended up being a gigantic test case and a precursor for what was coming and is still coming to the parks down the road. So I think the questions that they were trying to answer was how does Marvel do in the parks? How would fans react to Marvel outside of these big families like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men who have such a deep, rich history where Guardians are a much newer comic book series uh, that have been going on. And I think ultimately they got their answer that it works. People love these characters. People love this franchise. And now that's why you see Cosmic Rewind coming to Epcot and ultimately also led to the Avengers campus in DCA. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, there were a lot of things that kind of had to line up to make Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, possible, especially as source material. But I think just the fact that it was wildly popular in the box office, I mean, a lot of people thought that it was going to be a flop because it was so unknown and it's kind of quirky and it's just very different. I mean, if you were just to read the story, like if someone handed it to me on paper and was like, hey, would you want to go see this movie? Chances are I might say no, you know, lame. I'm just I'm just speaking my truth here. And I think once they saw how well it did and how well people connected to the characters, you know, Disney's obviously not going to make an entire ride over something that was not successful. Um, I read things that Disney always thinks about the money and the merchandise that goes with it. Naturally, Groot and Rocket fan favorites, lots of merch. There's still lots of merch. So I think that played into it. And then, you know, just the fact that Universal never signed the rights to Guardians of the Galaxy legally made it possible. So it's almost like everything just lined up. So, yeah, ultimately what the whole point of this conversation is Choosing Guardians and doing Guardians first instead of the Avengers, instead of the X-Men, instead of 
whoever else might fall into that category of what they could put in Disneyland, Guardians was chose first strictly to test this theory. And then it opens up the floodgates for what they can eventually do in Walt Disney World, which is very, very exciting. Oh, yeah. For us. But I, I do think, you know, if they had just if they'd led with Avengers Campus, that doesn't do much for Walt Disney World. It doesn't tell them much information. But you lead with Guardians that it's outside of the big Avengers movies and outside of the big families. He's, you know, they're not Iron Man. They're not <laughs> Spider-Man. These, you know, most comic, you know, even people who are not comic book fans know Iron Man and Spider-Man. But Guardians, a little more of a cult following behind it, I would say. Kind of a... a it's a little under the radar. A little under the radar that not your average movie watcher has seen it and it works. And I think that you will be able years from now to attribute Cosmic Rewind to this, Avengers Campus to this, and hopefully many, many more things to this. And I know some people will disagree with that. But I love it. I hate to throw this out there because I don't know if you know the answer. We didn't really talk about this beforehand. But is Joe Rohde in charge of the Cosmic Rewinds? I do not know. Because that would be very interesting for me to see since he did do such a great job with Mission Breakout. I'm interested to see kind of how this does play over into Disney. Obviously, everyone has like huge expectations, very high hopes. You know, the excitement just grows every time you see that big, ugly blue building. But, you know, if it was Joe Rohde, that would just like up the excitement, I think, for everybody. I don't think it's ugly. It's sky blue. It's just so boring compared to what Disney can do. I think it's boring. It's not done yet. We don't know what the finished product will look like, but. Back to Mission Breakout. Back to that was connected. So I do just think it is so important to just almost revel in the brilliance of Joe Rody. That the cue of this attraction. I, I again, I don't want to compare it to Tower too much, but we said the same thing about Tower of Terror. It is worth going through the queue. Even if you don't want to ride and get off, you know, take the exit right before you get on the ride. I would say the exact same is true and maybe even more so true on this ride. Well, and we even said the same thing last week for Collie River Rapids, which Joe Rody also spearheaded, is that because so much thought and effort is put into it, you know, if if you're interested in just that immersive storytelling experience, you 100% can get the story, not the complete story, obviously, but you can get a good feel for the story just for the from the queue before even stepping on the ride. Um, it's set up, you know, you can watch the pre-show, you can see Rocket and hear what he has to say, um, and you can just take the time in the queue to look at all those artifacts, especially if you're a Marvel fan. Um, I wish I knew more about each of these artifacts so I could truly like understand and appreciate them like Cosmo, like, like Cosmo. Yes. My goodness. Yeah. I, I think, and this is actually one of the few attractions that I think actually translates decently well to video. So if you hate dropping, and I know there's so many people out there who just 
can't stand the sensation of dropping. I was like that for a very long time. This is not a bad one to watch a video of. I think you can get a pretty good feel for it. Obviously, nothing beats being on the ride, but you can at least catch the comedy and the storytelling aspect of it and the influence that James Gunn and the actors had on it. I agree. Yeah, maybe walk through the queue, experience that in real life, and then go through the gift store and watch it on your phone. So we cannot talk about Mission Mission Breakout without talking about Monsters After Dark, a life-changing experience. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And for a little background information, this is the Halloween overlay that they do not do very much. No, they don't. It's basically just for the month of October, and it's only in the evenings, hence the after dark part of this. So 5 or 6 p.m. We didn't remember the time. They switch it over. I believe it was 5 p.m. They switch it over, and it goes from Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout to then become Guardians of the Galaxy Monsters After Dark. That was the ride of a lifetime. I mean, honestly, anything that Disneyland did as far as an overlay just blew us away. I mean, I don't think they did anything poorly. But again, the music in this one, I think, is what did it for me. We actually downloaded the song like into Apple Music after we got off of it because it was so awesome. So a high level story, just so you're aware. And again, I don't think this is going to give any spoilers, but if you don't want anything at all, skip ahead 30 seconds or so. But the story goes that because you rode earlier and you went on the tour and you raised your hands and you opened up <laughs> all the gates, all of Teven's acquisitions have escaped. But he's telling you and his assistant is telling you everything's under control. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Rocket. Uh, then finds you again and he basically says you're back like why are you you're like why why would you come back to this mess and he says wait a minute you can actually help me all of these monsters are on the loose from earlier but Groot is missing and we think he's on the top level walking around somewhere so you go up and look for Groot and let's see if we can get him and we'll all get out of here i mean talk about just seamless storytelling i think to me that is the most genius is that they didn't just you know throw like some crazy music on top of you know a pre-existing story they created a completely different story so really if you think about it there's seven different versions of this ride that you can experience but monsters after dark is almost just like an extension of the same story which i think is what is so brilliant about it yeah when you you are walking through the queue and everything like you can see you know video footage of like all these monsters running around and all of these workers trying to catch them and kind of all the things that go wrong with that and you know it makes you feel like you are there it is happening because of this and because haunted mansion holiday I don't know if I can ever go to Disneyland and it not be October. I know. I I would almost be sad. You know, not sad to be there because it would still be amazing. But I would just wish that we could experience, you know, the Halloween things. So just one last tip that I would say, just from a storytelling aspect, if you're really trying to get engrossed 
in that story. I think you do need to do Mission Breakout before you do Monsters After Dark. Just so you can get a full appreciation for it. You can piece it together otherwise, but uh, I think it makes for a better experience that way. It is more cohesive if you do one before the other, especially if you can like fit it all into one day. Like if you could do Mission Breakout in the morning and then go back at at nighttime and see the monsters after dark um, so that you can kind of experience it all in one day because it is very it fits so well. So song that Catherine mentioned, it was an original score by Tyler Bates called Monsters After Dark. Go look it up. You'll be like banging your head. I was going to say, it's definitely like a head banger. It's not our typical kind of music, but I mean, it, it just fits so well. So let's go to Facebook. Let's hear what our listeners had to say about this, and then we'll get into our kind of final thoughts and the score of it. Um, so, of course, we put these out in our Facebook group. You can search for it, Detour to Neverland Podcast Community, or find the link in our show notes to go over there. This is where we ask every week for people's scores or opinions or stories from these attractions that we were talking about and see how they perceive these stories. So our first one came from our friend Robert, and Robert said, I really like this ride, Get it, and it gets a big bump from Monsters After Dark. I remember the first time we did the Halloween overlay version, it was such a different experience that it just blew us away. It rivals Haunted Mansion Holiday for best seasonal overlay. Overall, the attraction gets a seven and a half for me. And I think that's all valid. I That is an interesting question, Catherine. Is it better uh, than Haunted Mansion Holiday? I didn't want you to ask this. I don't know. I don't know. I... I think for me personally, I still have to pick Haunted Mansion Holiday, which is honestly shocking because I'm not a big fan of Nightmare Before Christmas. I know it just irks at Brendan for me to say that, but because it it is so different, I think that's why it's my favorite seasonal overlay. But I appreciate, I hate to say I appreciate the storytelling of Monsters After Dark more, but I appreciate like the fluidity of the story that it really just feels like a continuation. But just play devil's advocate, Haunted Mansion Holiday is the same way. I mean, they addressed that at the very beginning saying that Jack was invited in and he took it over. I know, but it's so different though. Like it's not, it's not Haunted Mansion at that point at all. In my opinion, it is not Haunted Mansion. Yeah, that could be an entire episode <laughs> on itself about seasonal overlays. Pencil that and we'll do that closer to Halloween. Or maybe next week. <laughs> uh, it's getting close. If Mickey's Not So Scary was taking place this year, we would have a party this week. And we would be there. I'm so ready to hear boo to you. I I hope every day that they play it for us. Um. My friend Catherine said that she really needs a, Disney, a trip to Disneyland to be able to ride this. I think it's it's worth the price of admission by itself, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah. Very much worth it. Sean gave it a nine all the way. That is a very generous score. We'll get to our scores here in a minute. Other Sean. Yeah. <laughs> got two Sean's. Sean C and Sean B. Sean B says... So I'm a huge wuss, but I respect the overlay and I'm a big fan of the MCU. Same. I've only been on this ride once, but it 
certainly is a ride that is a discussion every time we go to the parks. Andrea loves it. Andrea is in a neat boutique. Shout out. <laughs> um, but I have a terrible fear of heights and falling. And she typically gives, gives me grief for not riding with her. We have friends with us. I always encourage her to go with them while I pop off to award wieners to grab a beer and wait in the gift shop. We never went to award wieners, Catherine. Oh, we didn't. I wonder if we're missing anything. We missed out. Sean goes on to say, I will ride it again one day. The longer the parks are closed, the more I don't want to take any rides for granted. Give it a 6.75. Ooh, okay. So, and look, he, Sean shared his categories as well. He scored it low in the rewritability. He said you would have to beg me to ride this again. Makes sense. Makes sense if you don't like drop rides. And he scored it low in how much do you miss it? <laughs> Which is probably plays into as well. Yeah. Done like drop rides. Yeah. But everything else as far as like theming and thrill off the charts. Top, yeah. Top marks for sure. So I'm on board with that. So last but not least, Abby from Polka Dot Paws gave it an 8.25. She said, if we were comparing it to the Tower of Terror version, I would say keep the new drop sequence, but go back to the old theming. Hmm. I thought the Tower of Terror version had a richer story. I loved how the cast members would get really into character and the suspense you felt waiting in line. It is much more fun and a silly vibe now, but the ride itself is still great. I can occasionally get my husband to go on it once, but not usually, and I have to go alone. I always come off it smiling. I don't know if I can answer. Like, I don't know if I can have a response to that because both stories are so rich, in my opinion. Yeah. And so deep. But. Uh, I will. I can see what she's saying. Like, it is kind of fun because it gives you the same Haunted Mansion vibes where the Tower of Terror bellhops are there to kind of play that theatrical character. However, I don't know if you remember this, but whenever we rode Mission Breakout, we got a little bit of that. They would say, like, Tevin, we'll see you now. Mm-hmm. Or please go into Tevin's office. Well, my rebuttal to that was going to be you don't need that presence as much because Tevin is so eccentric. Like the whole time it's all about him. Like he is it is so much like, look at me, look at my things. I am amazing. Welcome into my space. Like he is so over the top. If you had a bunch of cast members Doing that, it would almost be annoying. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need the cast members to do that for Mission Breakout because he fills that. Like, he gives you the vibe himself. Okay, new ride idea. Okay. We have Tevin there. Mm -hmm. New overlay. I can't remember the name of his character, but Jeff Goldblum in Thor. When Thor on Ragnarok, when Thor gets captured onto the planet and he's like the game master, he's uh, holding. Okay. Hulk. Okay. We need we need him in there too. Oh my goodness! Talk about just like <laughs> ego. <laughs> so we'd have Jeff Goldblum and Benicio del Toro like battling back and forth. So that's what we need. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. But you know, that's that would be my only thing to that is I do appreciate. The theatrics of the Tower of Terror bellhops. But in this scenario, I don't miss it. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and share your score and I'll share my score and then we'll have a discussion about 
why we came to this conclusion. Alrighty. So I gave it an eight and a half, which I feel like is a very high score, honestly. Um, the lowest scores I gave it were for nostalgia and I gave it a five. So just right in the middle of the road, but it's because I've only been to Disneyland once. Like I don't have super strong ties to it um, because I haven't been on it like as a kid. Same kind of thing with how much do I miss it? I love the ride. Um, I think it's super fun. But when I compare it to some of the other rides that we went on in Disneyland, it's not the one that I miss the most. You know, I do miss like Radiator Springs racers more. So that's kind of why I I gave it a lower score for that one, too, is I I do enjoy the ride, but I don't miss it the most. I was trying, honestly, (laughs) I was just trying not to give it like ones for everything. I was trying to be more realistic um, just because I do think, again, kind of like what I feel like I did last week with Cali River Rapids. Like I get so into it and I'm like, this is awesome. I love it. You know, and you think about the thrill of riding it. It was very easy for me to just give it very high scores. So I had to kind of stop myself and think critically. So I did just go all out and give it high scores. (laughs) I love this ride. I think going back, Guardians and Nightmare Before Christmas are both probably in my top five movies ever. Yeah. So like just just the fact that you can go on an attraction and see Peter Quill and Rocket to me is just mind blowing. Well, it's like. It gives you that little kid feeling, you know, like you're seeing your favorite characters in a way that we as Disney World people have never experienced those characters. Yep. So I give it a 9.25, which is the highest rating I've given any attraction in this series, I believe. I think the only one that came close to that was Expedition Everest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly think I like this more than Everest. Um, and look, I, I'll be the first to say, I love intellectual property in the parks. That's why I go to Disney, to be honest. I like to see the characters that I love from the movies in real life. And so to me, that pushes over the edge. Any, any attraction like that gets bonus points in my book. So I guess it's easier for me to say what I did not give it full marks for, (laughs) Standby worthy. I just said I said I would wait up to an hour for it. Um, again, that's that's probably just a personal problem for us. It is. I mean, I do think just you have wait. to be realistic. There are times that we've waited over an hour for a ride that we like had to do. So yeah. Nostalgia, I give it a 0.75. I took a little bit of a different route in thinking about this. Of course, like I didn't read Guardians of the Galaxy comics re- growing up. I read them occasionally now. Um, and my first exposure to the characters was the movies. So mm-hmm. recently. However, I thought that it was nostalgic in the same fact of what I was just talking about, that these characters that I love were right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of played on some of those nostalgic notes for me. And then how much. Do you miss it? I gave it a 0.75. Said I bring it up every time I talk (laughs) about the parks, but it almost made it into the dreaming about it category. Yeah, I am kind of surprised. And again, I think it's 
just like a personal preference as far as the characters probably really was the biggest difference in our scores. But from a storytelling aspect, I guess, do you have any final thoughts? I, I just think it's brilliant the way that it was done. And, you know, we've, we've had this joke going back and forth that like, I'm a Tony Baxter guy and you're a Joe Rody. All, all day, every day. But this, this truly, and I know there's so many creative minds that go into this, but it really is anything that Joe Rody touches is gold. <laughs> and, but I do, I think he speaks to what we love about Disney. Because he speaks to those notes of there's always something more to learn. There's always something new to see that no two experiences are the same. And I think this ride captures that so beautifully. Yeah. And even like when you brought up, you know, his his very short interview about, you know, just designing the ride itself you know he hit on all those things that everything was so intentional it's not just like he threw a bunch of props in from marvel because it would appease marvel fans you know he critically looked at it from a storytelling standpoint of you know who is the collector what does he do how can we capture that um and make it fit not only with you know guardians of the galaxy and everything that that's about but how can we make it fit into DCA and Disneyland and tie some of those things into it too. Something that I will think about, you know, probably all week is that he even mentioned something like, you know, there are things from like future plans that they have that like we might not even know about. Maybe he's talking about Cosmo the space dog. <laughs> well, that, you know, and I think that's what it kind of he alluded to is that Marvel worked with him. Mm-hmm. And James Gunn worked with him that to put artifacts in there that don't even make sense right now because they their story has not been told yet. And I who does that, Catherine? Who Joe does freaking roadie? It's so I mean, it's just we can look at the story right now, but, you know, we can even look at the story in five years from now and we could probably have more to talk about because there will be other pieces of it. And. Maybe they'll come out with new, you know, ride sequences or who knows what they'll come up with. But I just think from a storytelling standpoint, I mean, it checks every single box you could imagine. I told myself coming into this that I was not just going to gush over this ride for an hour, uh, but I've officially gushed over this ride for an hour. Um, Well, it's been, you know, 54 and a half minutes, so not quite an hour. Well, close. Close. I, I mean, I honestly don't have a single negative thing to say besides i wish it was a roller coaster i yeah i mean cosmic rewind is it already a 10 in our book maybe i guess we won't know until we write it i think if they can carry over the storytelling i mean that's probably the worst part about this ride is that once you get on the ride it's pretty short you know i mean the actual drops it it doesn't take long i think it's maybe like two minutes and some seconds. So the buildup is in the queue. The ride itself is very short. So maybe I wish it could be a little longer. It would be interesting to see if it was like the Walt Disney World version where it like moved around first. 
Like, I wonder what they could have done with that. We'll never know. But well, I do people wonder. are screaming. We hope we never know. I know. Well, I will agree. I don't want to take, you know, get rid of Tower of Terror for, you know, forever. I think we need one in each park and that just works out nicely. It does. So next week, Catherine, what attraction do you want to talk about? I kind of alluded to it, but I am picking the Haunted Mansion for next week's episode. Disneyland or Walt Disney World? See, that's the thing. I feel like we're going to have to talk about them both to a certain extent. I think obviously the history is with Disneyland, but I think we will have to talk about some of the differences between the two. So with all of that to talk about, it is to be determined if we will also have time for Haunted Mansion Holiday, because that in itself, I think, could be honestly its own episode. But we'll see. Let's do that on Halloween. Deal. So next week, Haunted Mansion. I'm excited for it. Yep. So hope you can join us. Then we will be back with another episode on Monday, which is an interview with our friend Kirsten. So we look forward to sharing that with you. Hope you can subscribe. See that episode pop up on Monday morning. Listen to it on your way to work. Whatever it might be, how we can fit into your tune, we would really appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.